As I just said, for those of you maybe who are uh, listening online, my name is Joe Crummy. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and it's great to be able to uh, open up God's Word this morning, and we're going to continue from the book of Hebrews, but first just a couple of things. One is, I failed to mention it earlier, but in case you were wondering who that bearded man was playing drums for us this morning, we want to welcome back Tim and Catherine Cross, so Tim's representing Cross... So they were with our church family for a couple of years. In the last two and a half years, they've been in Perth, Australia, and they're in a New Frontiers church there, and they're back visiting family. So, Tim, thanks for helping us out this morning. Great to have you back. And we're going to be praying for them. They're going to share an update tonight at our prayer meeting at 7 o'clock as we prayed for them over uh, the last couple of years, and it'd be great for them to be able to share with us. Well, this morning, uh, if you saw the title of our, I thought this was a very about potholes and if you've been with us the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 12 and Adam started us off two weeks ago and it's all about this running the race so we're getting towards the end of Hebrews we've had already 11 chapters of incredible teaching from the author all about Jesus and endurance and Adam picked it up a couple weeks ago talking about one part of running this race is serving that Jesus came to serve and we give our lives to serving and how we can get distracted from that and to avoid things like doubt and seduction and being pulled off course and brent came last week as we continued on chapter 12 and talked about how sometimes life is tough a lot of times life is tough and a lot of times we can think god where are you and we don't realize that god is using circumstances and sometimes he's disciplining us he's training us he's using things to make us more like jesus and we can have a different perspective now knowing that as christians if we're christ followers we don't we have a coach, yes, but it gets even better. We have a father, that we're sons and daughters. And as a loving father, God our Father comes and brings discipline to us. And it's a privilege to be disciplined by God. And there's a purpose to it, and there's a product to it. We come more like Jesus. We increase in righteousness and peace. And today, we're going to continue on in that. And we want to continue on in this theme, because it's all part of the same. We've divided it up over three weeks, but it's all part of the same passage about running this race. And the author today looks at a few more potholes. We can get distracted. We can get off course. We can also, as you are going to find out in these next couple of weeks, that if you hit a pothole, okay, it can disrupt the whole vehicle. It can get you off alignment. It can blow a tire. It can do all kinds of things to get you from running the race. And we're going to hit three big potholes here this morning that are common to our lives, and certainly in pastoral care and the life of a church, these three are probably at the top of the list. So let's pick up our scripture this morning, and then we'll dive into some of these things. So we'll pick up verse 11, where Brent finished last week. So the the writer's saying, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Thanks for being honest. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, 
when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So let's pray. Let's ask for God's help as we open up his word, that we'll understand the Holy Spirit will be our teacher and that our hearts and our minds will be open to be changed by God's word. Okay, so Father, we do thank you this morning. You're here by your presence. We thank you. You've been speaking to us as we worship you and that you're already preparing our hearts and our minds to be changed by your word. And we just say, Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Would you speak through me? Lord, I just say, let me be your mouthpiece here so that we would capture the truth of your word and the heart behind your word and the love of your word so that we can be more like Jesus. We ask in his great name. Amen. All right. So just by way of introduction, we want to capture this thing in Hebrews 12, that we are running a race. And can I just say this this morning at the beginning? We are all running a race. So if you're not into Christianity, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're still running a race. Everyone is running a race. Whether you know it or not, this race is called life. Life on planet Earth. And it is a race. And most people describe the race as something like this. Man, life is kind of like a rat race a lot of the time. And what are they talking about? It's just like things are so busy and sometimes it just seems like we're in one of those cages and we're kind of trying to follow the maze and we're trying to follow where's the entrance and where's the exit and it's a stressful time and life is hard. And my question starting out this morning for you is, what race are you in? Because you are in a race. Even if you don't think you're in a race, I'm telling you, you're in a race. What is your purpose in life? In this race of life, what is your purpose? I'll say it again. What is your purpose in this race of life? And the author has been describing all the way through the book of Hebrews, our purpose in life is this. We want to persevere in following Jesus so that we bring him glory. So as a Christ follower, our purpose is different from happiness is our goal, wealth is our goal, health is our goal. Now all those things aren't necessarily evil, but we've got a different goal, we've got a different purpose. So at a purpose, you get different goals. What's my goal in life? What are my goals in life? Do I have any goals in life? Who are you running with in this race? Who are you following? Is there a pace setter in your race? And we say, Jesus, that's who has run the race. That's who we're following in this race. That's who is encouraging. We're running this race together. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're in this together. So everything I'm going to be talking about this morning falls into that context of, are you in the race of being a follower of Jesus Christ? And that changes your purpose, your goals, your motivation, who you are with, it affects everything. And that's what the author's trying to say. And everything, once you become a Christ follower, will try to get you distracted and off that race. And that's where the author comes in today. We've heard about these things in the last couple of weeks of fixing our eyes on Jesus, accepting and understanding the Lord's discipline, and there's an action response to it. The author says, therefore, since you know these things, this is what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, and I want you to make level paths for your feet. Now, if you've done any sort of exercise in sports, this is the common look when you get exhausted. And I think the author is saying people are exhausted in following Jesus. 
and they've got weak knees and they're loose arms. And people are always like this. Now, this is what I'm not saying this morning. In coaching, if you've been involved in every sports, our coach was always like this in basketball in high school. You never let the other team notice that you're tired out. So none of this. You were not allowed. So even in practice, you weren't allowed to stand with your hands on your hips. You couldn't put your like. You had to like fake it that you weren't tired when actually you were exhausted. Don't let the other team see that you are weak. That's not what I'm saying here this morning. So all my sports analogies that I love to use, I'm not using them this morning. I'm behaving myself. Because sports analogies break down sometimes. Because a lot of times it's based on you and your strength. And come on, pull it together. Suck it up. You can do this. No, you can't. That's the whole point of this. You need some help. But there are some things you can do to receive help. And that's what we want to take a look at. He's saying, if you're exhausted, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths to your feet. And he's actually quoting two passages from the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 35, and I'll just read it out. Prophesying in Isaiah 35, starting at verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. So the author's looking to what's already been fulfilled, that Jesus comes to save us. So it's not about get your act together, don't show that you're weak, strengthen, you can get through this. No, it's saying this, your helper has come to save you. And Proverbs 4.26, make level paths for your feet. In Old Testament, all these things, make level paths means this, it's God's way for right living. So the author's saying, as we dive into some of these things, take courage by putting our hope in God, choose the Lord's way of holiness so that you may be healed. And the warning is, if you don't do these things, you're going to even be more disabled. You think you're disabled now, the path you're on, it's going to get even worse. And that's the context for these things that we're talking about. Now, two things that come out that we're exhorted to do. We're to make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. The ESV says, strive for living in peace with everyone, and to be holy. So these are two things we're commanded to do. And holiness, by the way, is not an option. So this is it. So we can kind of think, well, you know what? I can follow Jesus. I can kind of do my own thing on the side, and I'll try my best. But the author here is saying, you make every effort. This is your part that you're doing, to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Now, let me just say two things about holiness. Okay, so holiness means to be set apart, Obviously, it means to line up with God and God's purposes, God's ways, God's plans, God's standards, God's commands, all those things. And there's two parts to it. One is, we're going to say, theologians call it positional holiness, and this is what they mean. Positionally, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. So legally, you are in Christ. That is your legal recognition. So in the New Testament, you're recognized, our citizenship is in heaven. We've been named now. We're followers of Jesus. We are Christians. We have received a new identity. We have a new nature. God's Holy Spirit is in us. We're set apart. We're made righteous. We're legally right with God. And Hebrews 10.14 is going to talk about both these parts positionally, and then there's a progression of becoming more holy, which sounds like a paradox. But Hebrews 10.14, we already covered it, but just a reminder, the author says, because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever... Yes, 
those who are being made holy. What a confusing statement. Can I read that again? Because by one sacrifice, so Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus has made perfect forever. Hallelujah, we're made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. So one verse shows the two aspects of that. Is legally, and we can use the analogy as this. Legally, Angela and I are married. There was an event on June 7th, 1997. We had witnesses. It was a one-day thing. We signed the paper. We've got our marriage license. We've got the marriage certificate, all that. It's legally, it's done. We are married. Positionally, we're married. But in everyday life, there's a thousand little choices that need to be made because we are married that affect our marriage. So we can be legally married, but our marriage can be a mess. As a follower of Christ, you are holy because you are in Christ. So what God the Father, Jesus, is applied to you. You have right standing with God legally. You are holy. And out of that position, then we make a thousand little choices every day to become more and more holy in our everyday life. Can you get that? that but you got to get the first one because it's the motivation and the empowerment for the second part. So we're not trying to get ourselves cleaned up to make ourselves right with God. We're already right with God, and therefore we can live a life that says no to sin and yes to God. It's a whole different motivation. If you don't get the position first, you won't get the empowerment to live out the progressive every day becoming more like Jesus. That is fundamental because if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail over and over and over again. So positionally, we're in Christ. You don't have to strive for that. It's already been done because of Jesus. That is great news. And out of that, hey, Jesus has brought me into this relationship with God. And because of that, I'm a believer now. I've got a new nature and a new identity, new goals, new purpose. Out of that, now I want to receive help so I can live for Jesus. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're making every effort to be. And if you're not holy, guess what? It's going to be hard to live at peace with everyone. <laughs> because if you're not holy and you're sinning, sin brings separation. So it's going to separate relationships, it's going to separate our relationship with God, and that's what we see. They both affect our relationship with God. So when we deal with things like guilt, shame, anger, bitterness, all these different things, we keep trying to keep things in secret, guess what? That will affect our relationship with each other and with God. Because without holiness, you're not going to see God. So we wonder sometimes, how come I don't hear God's voice anymore? First thing we should check is, Am I in any sin? Because sin always brings a barrier. Doesn't mean you are, just a good thing to check. If we've got broken relationship with each other, I've got to look at and be self-aware. Have I done anything to put a stumbling block? Have I done anything to put a barrier? Maybe you haven't, but it's good to check. These are the things in running a race that are part of our goals is the author says, as you run this race, try to live at peace with everyone and be holy. And we read that all the way through. First Peter 1.16 says, Peter says, Be holy, he's quoting the Old Testament, as I am holy. He's quoting what God has said. Old Testament, it applies to the New Testament. 
God's serious about his holiness. And he wants us to be as well. We're going to try to answer the question, how do then do we live at peace with one another? How then can we be holy? And there's two parts to it. There's an individual responsibility and there's a together responsibility. There's a corporate part. So the author's saying, see to it. There's a responsibility. See to it. See to it. See to it. That's for me and that's for us. That's why being part of a local church is so important. It's hard to see to it if you are just on your own. It's better if people in a right way are observing your life to say, you know what, hmm, I noticed something that maybe isn't quite right. And we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about missing the grace of God. We're going to talk about bitterness. And we're going to talk about sexual immorality and exchanging short-term pleasure for long-term things that God has for us. And corporately together, that was interesting. This week, this is my one sports, hopefully maybe my one sports illustration um, this week. It was free agent week in the NFL and the National Football League. And it's amazing. And I read this one tweet this week, and I just thought of this message for this Sunday. So a guy named Darren Sproles played for the New Orleans Saints. He got cut by his team. Actually, they were going to cut him. Then they traded him. And his wife was furious. And she wrote this tweet, and this is the part that caught me. She was like, so she trashes the New Orleans, you know, management and all that. And she's swearing in this tweet. I mean, she's just like, she's ripping them, okay? And then she gets to the end of the tweet. Good thing there's only 140 or whatever characters. She says, God will work it out. And then she says, yes, I'm cursing and I'm blessing God. Hashtag only God can judge. (laughs) Now, here's a lesson. You can write that, but don't send it, okay? So you can vent, you can discharge your anger, but do not sin. Write it out, hit delete, and it's cathartic. Don't send it. But here's the point. Only God can judge. That's what stood out to me. Now, in one aspect of that, there's truth in that. We're going to stand before God. But if you're a Christ follower, we are accountable to one another, And if we think, I can do whatever I want, and only God's going to judge me, so back off and don't judge me, it's not so much judging, it's being very concerned that the next three things we're going to cover can ruin your life and ruin other people's lives. That's why we're concerned. So when we come to you and say, people come to me and say, I think on these three things, you might be missing the grace of God. I think you're getting bitter. I think you might be in the stuff you shouldn't be in. It's not so much we're judging and saying, ah, terrible person like we're concerned do you know that you can't be holy and you can't live at peace with everyone if you're involved in these three things that's the context that we're working from it's an individual and a together responsibility i'm spending a lot of time trying to set up for these next three because we got to see it through the eyes of personal responsibility and we're in this we are running the race together and we don't want anyone to get stuck in a pothole or to get distracted are you ready for our three potholes this is like if you grew up in north america this is family feud top three answers on the board of what the survey says what are the three most common things that people get off the race on these are three of them here we go the first one is this 
the first pothole in running the race with peace and holiness as one of our goals is we miss the grace of God. And the author starts out with a warning. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And there's two aspects of this. There's a warning regarding missing grace for salvation. The author's saying this, don't miss out even being in the race. So many people miss out even being in the race, and they reject God's way of getting in the race. Many people reject the gospel, this good news of Jesus, that forgiveness is offered through Christ's sacrifice, and they never even make it into the race of following Jesus. Because many people believe this, all roads lead to heaven. If I live a good life, then as long as I'm better than most people, I'm in. And these things permeate our worldview in North America. And it prevents us from obtaining and receiving the grace of God for salvation. I was just reading in my own personal time this week, the book of John. And John chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, right through the 14th. And so many times Jesus said this, I am the gate, I'm the door. If anyone jumps in any other way, they're a thief. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They said to Jesus, Jesus, what do we need to do? He said, believe in the one God has sent. That's me, Jesus. Jesus, I'm the good shepherd. I've laid down my life for the sheep. And he says, I've got the whole nation of Israel. I laid my life down. But there's more that's not even in the sheep pen yet that are to come. The Gentiles are coming. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die, you will live. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone wants to get to the Father, they need to come through me. Don't miss out on the grace that's been provided, the gift that's been provided in salvation. Don't miss out in following Jesus. That's the warning. Don't miss out. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Don't try to say, oh, I'm going to do it in my own works. Don't believe that everything, all roads lead to heaven. You read every religion in their writings, they disqualify that that's true. And Christianity is the same. There's only one way. Now, the good news is this. Anybody can come. So, so many times, Christianity is narrow view. It's so exclusive. No, it isn't. Jesus said, anyone can come. So that opens it up. If you're rich and poor, male or female, black or white, okay, if you're Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, doesn't matter. Anyone can come through Jesus to the Father. That's the most inclusive thing there is. Everyone can come. Hallelujah. That's good news. Sinner or saint, you can come through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and we can read it in Colossians 1, that Jesus qualifies us to enter the kingdom of God. It's like this. We just had the Olympics, all kinds of races, and you've got to qualify to get in to the race. We fail the qualification. We have to write a perfect test. We have to hit a perfect score. We fail in qualification. We need a substitute. We need someone else to qualify for us. And the Bible says Jesus qualifies us. His perfect life, his pleasing the Father, his sacrificial death, the once and for all sacrifice, he qualifies us. And he allows us to use his name to get into the kingdom of God. That's good news. Don't miss out on that. Don't let your pride, don't let 
your doubts. Don't let anything miss out on the grace of God that's been provided for you to even enter the race. Jesus, our substitute, qualifies us to even get into the race of life, of following Jesus and glorifying God. Now, there's a second aspect to that as well. As we can miss the grace of God in everyday life. So grace for salvation, it's a gift. We fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin and death. We're going to die physically and spiritually. We're separated from God. Jesus qualifies us. He brings us into right standing with God. He restores us as a father and as a son relationship. He gives us his Holy Spirit. That's like a supernatural event that happens. We've gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Hallelujah. That's the grace of God. That's grace for salvation. Now, here's the key thing. If you're a Christ follower, and many times in North America, we miss out on this. Do you know also that there's grace from God for every day life? And unfortunately, in North America, many times it's, you become a Christian, Trevor, you've been saved. Okay, great. You're now in the kingdom of light. We'll see you in heaven. Go along your merry way. And poor Trevor's like, oh, what do I do now? So I guess I got to try to be holy. And I guess I don't know how to do it, so I'll just try my best, and I'll try to get up earlier, and I'll try to read my Bible more, and I'll try to do all these things, and I fail, and I'm condemned, and I guess I just got to hold on for heaven. I'll try not to mess up too much. That's cruel to say, hey, you've been born now. You're in a family. See you in a few years. Hope you do well. There's grace. There's strength, power, energy, provision every single day for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the author's saying these two things. Don't miss out on grace for salvation, but this, don't miss out on the grace of God every single day. So in those thousand little choices, there's power there and grace every day to help you make the right decision. And if we don't understand that, then we're missing out on God's daily provision of daily bread that God has provided for us. Manna in the Old Testament was, there was enough for today. You couldn't store it up. You couldn't provide for tomorrow. It went bad. There was enough manna every day to feed you to get you through today. There's enough grace every single day provided from God to you by his word, by his Holy Spirit, by encouragement from each other for you to make good decisions to follow Jesus and to keep you holy as Jesus is holy. Don't miss out on the grace of God. Now, I believe the next two things we're going to talk about in a minute come from missing out on the grace of God in everyday life. So life is tough, absolutely tough decisions. There's temptations, all these things. But Jesus gives us strength every single day. Paul learned this, didn't he? Paul had a hard time. And you can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul saying, I found this out. That Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you in everyday life. Even though Paul had a thorn in his side, and we don't even quite understand what that was. Jesus said, my grace, my power, my strength is sufficient for you to get you through each day, to live right for God, to bring him glory, and to fulfill God's purposes and plans. And if we miss out, what happens? We become exhausted, don't we? We become weary, vulnerable, anxious. We can become driven, and it leads to finding fulfillment in other things that should be fulfilled by the grace of God. 
So we have to make sure two things. The opposite of missing out is receiving. (laughs) So this morning, would you receive the grace of God for salvation that Jesus has qualified us, that we can't do it on our own, that all, not all roads lead to heaven. Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Anyone, okay, can get to the Father, but you come through me. Don't miss out on that grace that a gift's been provided, a substitute that has made a way possible for you to get right with God. And don't miss out, folks, on grace. Every day there's daily bread, there's strength and power from God. Every day to help you in your walk with God, to help make decisions that are godly, that we don't miss out on the grace of God. We have to receive the grace of God. Okay. So what's our first pothole that can get us distracted and that can disable us from running this race? We can miss out on the grace of God. And as I said, I believe the next two things we're going to talk about follow if we miss out on the grace of God. So when we talk about bitterness and we talk about sexual immorality, if we don't have great uh, receiving of grace from God every single day, this is what will happen. So the second pothole, and it's a biggie, it's this whole thing of bitterness. And the author writes this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Woo! I think probably the biggest thing we battle with in our walk with God is being offended by people and being hurt by people and then what do we do with that offense and with that hurt so we deal all the time personally deal with it okay people are mean to us people are cruel to us bad things happen to us we hurt people hurting people hurt people as we learn over and over again and what do we do when people hurt us it's not so matter when it if it will happen when it happens what do you do with it What do you do when someone offends you? Maybe they knowingly offend you. Maybe they don't even know they offended you. What do you do with hurts from the past? How how do you cope with them? And bitterness is a lot like this. We say it all the time. Bitterness is like drinking a poison and expecting the other person that you're mad at to suffer from drinking that poison. Guess who ends up getting hurt? And eventually these things can kill you. You. <laughs> so when we talk about forgiveness and all these things, a lot of it is it's getting you freed up. And there's not so much. I mean, if you've offended someone, there's a whole channel you can go through. You can ask for forgiveness, all those different things. But I'm talking more about when you've been offended, when you've been hurt. The Bible says bitterness is like a poison. And the author refers back to Deuteronomy 29:18 in the Old Testament. And Moses says this. Make sure, he's talking to the people of God, make sure that there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. So the author refers back to the Old Testament. Moses is saying, bitterness is a lot like this. It's idolatry. Bitterness is idolatry. And what do we mean by idolatry? It's when we make something else more bigger than God. And I say it to my kids, idolatry, and I say it kind of jokingly, but it's true. It helps you remember, okay? It's when you give an idol 
a try because you're not satisfied with God. That's what idolatry is. You give an idol a try to be God instead of God. And two of our biggest ones is we get focused on bitterness. That becomes the consuming thing instead of God being the consuming thing. And we get so wrapped up and we're so concerned about everything that's been done to us. Our focus is so on either what's been done to us or what we're going to do to get back to the person or all those things that we lose focus on who is really God. And we worship the bitterness more than we worship God. And therefore, it becomes an idol. And idolatry is not a good thing. Because we're to have no other gods before the living God. That's why bitterness is such a big thing. It's a poison. And as we see here, the author says, this is the scary thing about bitterness. It doesn't just affect you. One person, and this is why bitterness in church life can be so hazardous, because it defiles many. And defiles carries this whole connotation of it contaminates this. It contaminates others. So if one of you was exposure to radioactive stuff and you walked in here, we'd be all like, we're all going to run away because we don't want to get contaminated. So a bitter root springs up, and we've seen it so many times, people get so blinded with bitterness, they don't know the destruction they're causing to other people. You slime other people. When I get bitter, I slime other people. It comes out all over the place, doesn't it? It comes out in my words. I'm more discouraging. I'm more negative. I'm more cutting. I'm more vengeful. You can, the list goes on. It comes out in my actions. I could do good to this person, but I'm not going to. And I'm justified. It defiles many. It contaminates many. And it can be in your workplace. It can be in your family. And we can deal with people who are dead. Okay, someone's hurt them. They're dead, and they're still bound up in being bitter, even though the person's not even alive anymore. Now, the question is this. How do I not get into this pothole of bitterness? How can I see to it that I don't miss out on the grace of God and that I don't let a bitter root grow up that's going to hurt me and defile many? The remedy is always this. It's forgiveness. Now, I'm going to quickly go through a tool to help you. I've used it many times before. For Brent and I, for April, in helping people work through forgiveness, this is what we do. Because a lot of people are like, you know what, I want to forgive. I know it's biblical. We pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm to forgive people as I've been forgiven and all these things. But I don't know how to do it. That's a fair enough thing. And a couple of things about forgiveness. We always put the parameters. You've got to understand what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Okay? Forgiveness is not saying what people have done against you is right. Okay? It's still wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean we don't put in boundaries so that you don't get hurt again. So it's not forgive and forget. You can't forget it. But the power of those memories can be lessened so they don't control you anymore. Okay, we don't hit the reset button, control, alt, delete, and you don't remember it anymore. So sometimes our trite sayings that we try to help out with people, oh, you just get over it, forgive and forget. You can't! That's not what we're talking about. But the power of those memories don't have to control you anymore. And there's a lot of things go on forgiveness, but this is my helpful thing that I go through. Okay, I'm just going to go through. So I take a piece of paper. People offend me. And I'm going to give you a real life example. When I was at university, my roommate, he had a drug addiction, unfortunately, and that affected me. And 
as you can see, his offense was he stole my clothes, he stole a lot of stuff from me to feed his drug habit, and there's a personal cost to it. So I'm, this is honesty, this is real life stuff. And some of you are going to have bigger things, some of you are going to have smaller things, but it's the same principle all the way through. There's a personal cost to me. So it cost me money, I had to replace things. Probably the biggest thing was trust and safety. I didn't know every time I came home what I'm walking into and what was going to be stolen and broken into and everything. And you live with that, don't you? You live with that. It affects you. And with bitterness, we have this thing within us that says, you owe me. We want to get even. We want judgment. We want justice, which can be a good thing. I want it, justice. You owe me money. You owe me time for all the time I had to clean up and everything. And most of all, you owe me an apology. If you would just say you're sorry, that would go a long way. That's what I feel you owe me. And how do I feel? I'll be honest. I felt angry, violated, and as time went on, vengeful. <laughs> and my judgment was this. You better pay up or else. I'm going to pound you. I'm going to physically pound you. And I'm going to steal all your stuff. Real life situation, trying to be honest with you. And you can put yourself in any situation, big or small, and you can, you can go through that list now, here's the thing. When you forgive, you've got to forgive from the heart. You gotta be, it's got to be cathartic. You just can't say, yeah, I know, I'll forgive them, whatever. And we try to teach it with our kids all the time. You've done something wrong. You ask for forgiveness. And many times our kids say, oh, that's okay. Time out. No, that's not how we do it. It wasn't okay what they did to you. So you don't say, well, no, that's okay. Say, no, I forgive you. It's a choice. And that's the biggest thing. It's a choice. We don't wait till our feelings line up. I'll forgive them when I feel like it. You might never feel like it. It's a choice. And that's what we do. And we choose, Lord, I choose to forgive. And sometimes I physically rip up that paper. You can burn it as you go through its cathartic. You've been honest. You've put it all out there. But we choose to forgive them. Lord Jesus, I forgive to choose my roommate. I forgive them. I release them to you. Because they're still on God's hook. I've released them, but they're still... I put a lock on my door, so there's still boundaries afterwards. But I forgive them. I release them to you. They're still accountable to you, and they'll deal with God. But they don't owe me anything. And now I need to go on choosing to forgive. That's a tool you can use. And we'll send that out this week to you. And you can use that with others. Pothole number one, you can miss out on the grace of God. Okay. In the world, you can't really forgive people until you've been forgiven first. So the whole thing with salvation, you realize you've been forgiven. And if you've been forgiven, it makes it easier to forgive others. Because <laughs> the reality is, if God did that with our name, guess what? I'm the offender. How will I offend God? Well, we're going to need a lot of paper. <laughs> Seriously, we're going to need a lot of paper for the last 41 years of how I've offended God. What's my personal cost to God? I cost him his son. And if you walk through that and you realize what we need it, and in Christ, God rips up the paper and says, you owe me nothing because Jesus has paid the penalty. You are then empowered as you've received, 
and you receive daily grace from God to not get bitter and to forgive others. You're conquering two potholes in one. Don't miss out on the grace of God in this race that God's given to us about peace and holiness. And don't get bitter. Don't miss out and see that a bitter root. That might be a prophetic word coming through from God. So we'll just see if there's anything there in a second. Okay? Okay. Don't lose me. Third pothole. And our time's going. And this is another big one. All of these messages are, they're, they're all messages on their own. But we're just trying to work through these things. Here's the third pothole. I'm going to call it instant gratification because you'll understand in a minute. The writer says, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Now I put down instant gratification because I could have put sexual immorality, but Esau, there's a whole thing here that goes beyond just sexual immorality, which is a big one. As Esau did this, he didn't value God's ways And he gave up his right as the firstborn, which was to be the double portion of his father's inheritance for the immediate gratification of one meal to feed his flesh. And the warning is this. Don't miss out on all that God has for you to feed your flesh with something of little value and miss out on the value of what God has for us. Esau treated the privileges and honor of a son as an heir lightly, throwing away the blessings of an honored child for the desires of a flesh. That's the warning that the author gives to us. And we can do the same today. We cannot value and honor the gifts that God has given to us. We can have a short-term view. Look at all the gifts God's given to us. He's given us the gift of salvation. He's given us the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing what's to come who's our helper and the bible says don't grieve the holy spirit we can dishonor the church when we don't realize what we do affects the whole body we are the body of christ we're representing jesus here on earth we're representing each other so when we trade short-term things for long term we devalue one another and we'll get into that especially with the sexual stuff We can devalue his discipline. We can devalue God's future rewards. We can devalue his name and his honor and one another. We can devalue his presence. And we can devalue how all those things add up to affect our worship personally and corporately together. Because the reality is, when I feed my flesh and I choose ungodly things, it affects me and it affects us. So I feel the weight of that as a leader. Because if I get off course, it's not just me and Angela and Micah and Noah and Jared and Anna. Guess what? I affect you. And I'm going to be held accountable before God. That if I get off course, I'm going to affect you. Whether you know it or not, I'm affecting you. That's why we need the grace of God, isn't it? And primarily... One of the potholes of instant gratification is to do with our sexual desires. And the author here is saying, I want you to be sexually responsible. That those desires are God-given. God came up with sex. God came up with designing our bodies to enjoy pleasure. God is a pleasurable God. It came from God. So let's not give all the credit 
the devil, that the devil gets all the good things and we don't. It all came from God. What a great God. Now, God has given boundaries and sin has entered and Satan's tried to steal and corrupt and destroy. But the word of God says there are boundaries that God has put in place. And this goes with Brent's sermon from last week that God is a good father has given boundaries for our own protection. And most of the time where we fall sexually is short term. We lose sight of the boundaries and the things of God and we go for the instant gratification. And we can sabotage and we get in the pothole of all the things of not running the race that God has marked out for us. And I'm going to hit every single person here this morning. So whether you're in middle school, high school, university, or you're 99, I'm going to hit all of you. Married, single, this this applies to everybody. If you're single, you've got certain challenges that married people don't. You need to be responsible. You need to be responsible. You need to be responsible of what you're taking in, in your eyes, what you're viewing. You need to be responsible. You need to be responsible, okay, not to have sex outside of marriage. And you need to find God's grace to help you in that. But it is possible. We look to Jesus who led the way. So this affects you. You, get, you need to be sexually responsible, and we don't have time to get all the things today that can help you with that. But there are certain boundaries, there are certain things you can do to help you be holy and at peace with one another. Because if you're not, the consequences are it affects, it affects your conscience. You can feel shame. You can come here and worship on Sunday and you're just kind of like this. Why? Because you feel guilty, you feel ashamed. It affects our relationship with one another and with God. It goes back to the first thing. Married people, same thing. You've got to you're responsible to deal with lust. You're responsible. And if you have sex outside of marriage, it's called adultery. And there's consequences. And how can you have peace with your spouse and be holy if we're not sexually responsible in our marriages? And for those of you, I'm going to say same gender attraction. So dealing with homosexual desires and tendencies. Okay. Those, we're not going to debate today where they come from, whether it's hereditary, whether it's nature, nurture. However you have them, you're responsible. What are you going to deal, do with them? And the Bible's very clear. We're not to act out on those things. So temptation is not sin. You can feel those things if you're single, heterosexual, whatever. We all have these things. Those aren't sin. What you do with them is the key. And you need to find God's grace to live out a celibate life, as countercultural as that is. And you've got to find God's help not to act out on those same gender attraction. And God's grace is there. I'm not saying it's easy for any one of those. It's hard for everybody. When you're single, once you get married, it doesn't fix everything. So don't think that. If you're single, think, oh, if I just get married, I will never deal with things. Don't. And whether you're heterosexual, same gender, whatever, we have the same responsibilities and the same grace from God to be at peace with one another. We don't lust and treat other people as objects. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's living at peace with one another. And we want to be holy. We want to follow the boundaries that God has for our benefit and His glory. 
And we need to be tempted. If we don't receive that grace of God, what did I say idolatry is? I'm going to give an idol a try because I'm not satisfied with God. And bitterness and sexual immorality can become an idol that we worship that and we need that and our goal and our focus and our purpose is on that and not on following Jesus. So I just say to you this morning, there's an opportunity to get free if you're bound up in sexual stuff. And I'm not just limiting the sexual, that instant gratification, okay? That goes into how you eat, how you spend your money, gambling. I mean, it's a big topic. That's why I'm just picking on one thing because it's mentioned specifically, not to be sexually immoral, but it's a big topic. It goes beyond just sexual stuff. You want to get free and you want to stay free. And if you're free already, then do these things to keep staying free, to make good choices. And quickly, because we don't want to leave you saying, oh man, uh, what do I do now? That's why I wanted to give you that forgiveness account sheet here. Basic things in the word of God. We repent. We know right from wrong. We say, God, I'm sorry. I turn from it. We don't try to hide it. We bring it into the light. It loses its power when you bring it into the light. And that's why we need each other. We renounce things. So if we had sex with other people, there's a physical bond. The Bible says the two become one flesh. There's a connection there. There's a soul connection, whether you know it or not. We want to renounce it. We want to shut that door. We don't want the devil to have any foothold into our lives because he will mess us up and kill us. And I plead with you, bitterness, sexual immorality will poison you and many others and it will destroy you. So let's get free and let's repent and let's renounce. I shut the door. I no longer have any relationship with that person. I shut the door legally in Jesus' name so Satan can't have access to my life. And I forgive so the same thing. Satan can't have access to my life because he's a legalist. To say, oh, you didn't forgive that person. Ah, I got access to you. We shut the door. We repent. We renounce. And there's a whole process of being restored. As Brent went through last week, we can be forgiven, but we still might have to deal with the consequences. You've got to understand the difference. You can be forgiven, restored in your relationship with God, but there's still consequences that you've got to live out. And we see that if someone gets pregnant, You can be forgiven, you can be restored, but there's a lifelong consequence to live out. You get a sexually transmitted disease, you can have a lifelong consequence. That even though you're forgiven, you gotta still deal with the consequences. And that's why we need community. We need two or three people, maybe in our life group, in our fit groups, that we can say, probably this week, I need to get together because I need to forgive some people. I need to maybe forgive myself. I need to get together with some people and say, you know what, man, I'm messed up. I'm in sexual stuff. No one even knows about it, but I'm going to be honest and I'm going to deal with it. Hallelujah. Way to be courageous and do it. And Jesus will help you. He's made a way for us to be forgiven and restored. In closing, thank you for bearing with me because I know it's been a long one. We'll go back to how we started off three weeks ago because this section in Hebrews 1 to 17 goes together. The writer says, Let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, two, two of them which I just spoke of, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So folks, can we say together, these are exciting days 
together to be a follower of Jesus on planet Earth. These are exciting days to be a follower of Jesus in this church and what God's doing. Let's run the race together. First of all, let Jesus qualify you. Maybe you're outside of the race here this morning. You're outside of the benefits of what it is to be a child of God. You don't have a father who disciplines you for your good to make you more like his son, Jesus. Let Jesus qualify you to even get in the race. And as you do that, follow Jesus. He's our pace setter. He's the one. He's got a race marked out for us. Different callings, different vocations, different things, different places in geography, as Tim and Catherine know. But they're running the race marked out for them following Jesus where God's placed them in Australia. That's good news. Peace and holiness are important. Can I say that? Make every effort to live at peace with one another. You do your part, how other people act, or how that's out of your control. You do your part. And you can only do that by being holy. Because as I said, sin separates and brings division and isolation and distance. So we do our part. Peace and holiness are important. Throw off anything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. Throw it off! We want to run the race free to follow Jesus. Avoid the potholes of bitterness and instant gratification. Persevere. Would you receive grace? If you've ever run a race, you learn this pretty quick. I'm going to grab every Gatorade along the way. <laughs> Even if my body doesn't tell me I don't feel thirsty, I'm, I'm drinking it anyways. I'm going to keep fueled up for this race. I'm going to persevere. You receive grace every single day, strength and energy from God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We keep coming back to Jesus. Jesus is our pace setter. He's the one we're following, and we're in this together. Individually, as I said, different callings, different vocations, different things, God sends us different places. We have different grace gifts for different things, different spiritual gifts, but we're in this together. We're running the race together, and we're to look out for each other. See to it that no one misses. The grace of God gets bitter or gets off track sexually. Let's run together. What affects me personally affects you. But equally true, Every one of you individually affects me and each other. There is nothing done in secret that doesn't affect us. There's a positive to that. If you pray in secret, you give in secret. There's a good part. It's going to affect us. If you sin in secret and you're bitter in secret and you hide things, it will affect us. Folks, let's throw off sin and everything, distractions. Let's forgive Let's be restored. Let's run the race together to give Jesus glory and for us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Can we do that together? Hallelujah. Okay. I know I think we've got a few prophetic words to come through, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to put into action. And I believe there's two things with this. There can be an immediate action to it. You can say, you know what? I'm going to put a stake in the ground today, and I'm going to wimp out if I don't do it right now then you need to put it into action. There's an ongoing. That forgiveness account sheet, you need time to do that. Some things you need to meet with people to get through. You're not going to maybe all have that today, but you can say, I'm taking action today, and I'm going to follow it up in these few, next few days, weeks, and months. Both of those go together. Father in heaven, we thank you today.
We thank you that you are a good father, that you love us. You desire for us to know you and to be like you. And that you've given us boundaries in your word. And you've given us your commands. But you provide what we need to live it out. And Father, I pray for these dear friends of mine here this morning. Father, I pray for anyone who's outside of the race of following Jesus. Would they receive the qualification that Jesus has provided to get in the game, to get in the race of following Jesus? Father, I pray this morning that no one would miss out on the grace of God in everyday life. Lord, I pray that there be no bitterness among us, that there be no sexual impurity, unholiness, that we would choose your way and your purposes, and we would choose life over death. Lord, help us here this morning. Holy Spirit, come and do. You convict sin. You're the one who teaches us. You empower us to live a holy life. Come now, I pray. Do your work in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.